tell you what, if we don't make a, if we don't set a goal and with God's help aim for that goal, we're not going anywhere in life. We'll stay right where we're at. We'll get to 2021 and we'll be exactly where we're at today. And I don't know about you, but I don't care to be in that position. I want to move forward. I want to move forward. And so commitment is on the agenda for January. And uh, we'll be thinking a little bit about it each quarter. We're going to bring it up. Um, we hope to have you a little couple of Bible markers, uh, bookmarkers that you can keep in your Bible and remind yourself of your commitment to the Lord this year. Your commitment to the Lord. Um, I, I, I like to ask myself this question, and I don't know the answer to this question for myself, but I'm going to ask it for you to think about for yourself. If Jesus were on earth right now, would you be one of his 12 disciples? Would you be one of the ones that decided to follow him um, closely, leaving everything behind, uh, going wherever he went? Would you be one of those people? And uh, please don't shake or nod your heads. That's a question for you to answer in your heart with him. Um, I think sometimes to myself I would say yes, and I think to myself sometimes that I wouldn't necessarily be one of those people. Um, I want to be. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be committed to him, don't you? Why, why would we bother gathering together here at church? Why would, we, why would we bother reading our Bibles? Why would we bother telling other people about Jesus if we ourselves aren't committed to him? I encourage you to commit yourself to the Lord in 2020. And so um, I, I want to just continue on in Matthew where we were at. With this question at the top of our minds as we're reading through Matthew 20, we're going to start in verse 17. So as you're turning there, you can read along. Um, but here's the question I'd like us to ask ourselves as we read through this. What happens when you are a devoted disciple of Jesus? What happens when you make that level of a commitment? What happens? And we're going to study, I don't know, seven or eight different things that happens when you're a disciple. What's another name for a disciple of Jesus? Student? Follower? That's exactly right. I'll give you one big one, Christian. <laughs> if you are a, a true Christian, that means you are a true follower of Jesus. There are many, many people who claim to be Christians but I don't think there's many followers or disciples of Jesus. I really don't. You can be a Christian in name, but are you a Christian in reality, in your nature, in the way that you operate? And so I want to ask this question. What happens when you're a devoted disciple of Jesus? Starting in Matthew 20, verse 17, it says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on his way, and he took... The twelve aside and said to them, he took the twelve aside. So let's just pretend that you and I are willing to be one of the twelve disciples. We're following Jesus. Who did he take aside to talk to? He just took his confidence aside. That's all he took. He didn't take the churchgoers, all right? He didn't take the person who calls themselves a Christian. He took his true, devoted disciples to the side, and he told them something that he didn't tell everybody else. In verse 18 of Matthew 20, he said, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, who's speaking of himself, 
will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will send, um, hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will rise to life, be raised to life. Let me tell you what, if you are a disciple of Jesus, something that will happen to you, he will take you into his confidential communion and whisper things into your ear that he doesn't tell other people. If you want to know the inside scoop of why God does what he does and how he operates, be a disciple and he'll tell you all kinds of things. You will be informed in all kinds of ways that you aren't informed now. And so I encourage you, devote yourself to Jesus follow after him and he will tell you unbelievable things that other people don't know Jeremiah says call unto me and I will show you great and hidden things that you do not know let me tell you what follow Jesus and you will you will have a lot of answers to your questions a lot of us have questions that are unanswered you want your questions answered begin to follow Jesus and he's gonna show you things thing after thing after thing but let's read on Matthew 20 verse 20 the mother of Zebedee's sons do you know who Zebedee's sons were there's 12 disciples two of them were James and John the sons of Zebedee who is Zebedee some guy who had two sons James and John all right <laughs> the sons of Zebedee well their mom came to Jesus and it says here that she knelt down and she asked favor of him and he said what do you want she says grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom see she thought Jesus was going to set up a physical kingdom and she thought my sons are going to be right there with him who do you think that mom was really thinking about her sons or herself She's thinking about herself. She would have loved to claim, I'm the mom of the two guys who are sitting beside the new king of Israel. That's what she was thinking about. Now, how if somebody came to you that way and you saw how self-centered they were, how self-consumed they were, would you give them the time of day to answer their question? Most likely not. We'd probably sniff at them, whatever, not sniff, but you know, Look at him and not even give him the time of day and move on. But look at what Jesus does. He's very patient. In verse 22, he says, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> now, he probably said that uh, a little bit strongly. But he said, you don't know what you're asking. He, he, he said to them, he said to them, by the way, now she wasn't alone. Here are her two sons right beside her, apparently. Because he, he, he kind of blows her off and he looks at the two sons and he says, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? What cup was that? The cup of suffering, the cup of crucifixion, that, that cup. He said, can you drink from this cup that I'm going to drink from? And they said, we can. <laughs> the Siamese twins, we can. Yeah, we can do it. Jesus says to them, you indeed will drink from my cup. In fact, they did suffer quite a bit in their lives as history tells us he says but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant these places belong to those to whom they've been been prepared for by my father he's he's patient he he tells it like it is he doesn't just ignore the question even though it's a self-centered question 
When the ten heard about this, though they were indignant with the two brothers, Jesus calls them together instead of picking them apart and siding with the ten and saying, yeah, these two guys are fools. They're goofs. I can't believe that. He pulls them all together and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me tell you what. When you're a devoted disciple, God is patient with you even when you're self-centered. And we all are. Even when we are self-centered, self-absorbed, we're following Jesus, Jesus is patient with us. Isn't that good news? How long has it taken him to break down my self-centeredness? Well, here's the answer. He's not done with me yet because I'm still, still a very self-centered person. But little by little, he's breaking down my selfishness patiently patiently working with me helping me and he does the same with all his disciples all those would-be christians who have given their hearts to the lord and saying god i want to do give my effort to follow after he's he's patient with them and here's the other thing he takes every opportunity to teach us he takes those self-centered moments, any of us that have kids and our kids are self-centered, we take the opportunity to try to teach them to break that selfish pattern, that self-absorbed pattern that they have in their lives. Jesus does the same thing for us. If you're his disciple, he's going to take every opportunity to help you, to teach you something that you didn't know before. And he always, always will point us away from selfless selfishness to selfless servant serving selfless serving a disciple of jesus is a servant plain and simple and let me tell you what you can't serve god if you're not serving people it just doesn't happen you can say i don't have time for it he says you know what that's not good a good enough excuse we always have time to serve people. We always have time to serve people. And if you want the selfish pattern broken in your life, start serving somebody. It'll break down really, really, really quick because you've, you've taken the focus off of me, 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 and onto them, them, them. God wants us. It's, it's the same thing I was telling you a couple of Sundays ago. You can't be committed to your, to your God unless you're committed to your church. <laughs> it just doesn't work. I thought for the longest time, God, I'm serving you, but oh, your church, my word. You know, not everything's too kosher there. Things are, you know, people aren't who they should be. I don't agree with where the church is going. Let me tell you what, it's like saying, I've said this already three times, it's like saying I'm committed to my wife, but I'm not committed to my children. No, no, you're committed to God. You're committed to the body of believers. You're committed to the body of believers. And so he points us to serving. How do you serve? Take somebody to the hospital that needs a ride to the hospital. <laughs> you know? Uh, if somebody needs a meal, take them a meal. If they're sick, go help them out. If we need nursery workers, serve in the nursery. You know? 
serve, 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 serve. Serve in your community. Serve at work. Don't just go collect a paycheck. Find something extra that you can do to serve wherever you're at. Amen? My, my kids clean toilets at home. That's service, right? That's re- Find a place to serve and do something extra for somebody else. So that's what a disciple. If you want to be a devoted Christian, a devoted disciple, you're going to have to put your time on the line. You're going to have to put your emotion on the line. And you're going to have to put your efforts on the line. You just are. That's just the way the kingdom of heaven operates. That's why I said last, last week, we're not church goers. We're church builders. If you're coming to church and that's it, that's, that's not a disciple. A disciple gets in and builds the kingdom of heaven. All right? And so if you go over to Fort Bliss, let me give an example. If you go to Fort Bliss, you get on there. There's nice homes that have been built recently. You can find a bowling alley. You can find a neat little um, area with all kinds of restaurants. There's a hospital that's being built for 10 years. Well, let's not go down that path. There's all kinds of amenities on this army base. It's very, very large. But if you go out into to Afghanistan, an FOB, a forward operating base, you're not going to find too many amenities there. You're going to find some, some uh, tents. You're going to find some dusty vehicles. And you're probably going to find some soldiers that are weary. Let me tell you what, this church is a forward operating base. You're not going to find a lot of amenities here. You're going to find a place to serve is what you're going to find here. And I encourage you to roll up your sleeves and do something for the kingdom of heaven, to be a disciple. Matthew 21, verse 1, we continue on. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, again, we're asking the question, what happens when you're a devoted disciple of Jesus? When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, listen to this, can you imagine if Jesus sent you in this way? Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and uh, he will send them right, right away. In other words, he'll send them back. It's a pretty odd request. What if I were to ask you, hey, you know what? Go into the store down there. Go to the first bin of whatever merchandise. Pick me up a couple of things and walk out of the store without paying for it. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, uh, then just tell them Steve Norman said to bring this stuff to me. (laughs) That's what was being asked for right there. It's a very odd request, very unusual. It almost sounds like Jesus was asking them to steal something or to borrow something. Let me tell you what. The Holy Spirit sends his disciples on very unique and unusual assignments. And when God asks you to do something, go do it. Trust him. He's going to be with you. He's going to assist you. He's never asking you to go do something alone. Go in the strength that God provides. Go in the wisdom that God provides. And go in the confidence that God provides. Stop going around with your head down thinking that you're a victim. You are not a victim. Stop having a victim's mentality. Chin up. You're a child of God. You're a disciple of Jesus. He's empowered you to do what you need to do. Do what God tells you to do. Don't shy away because it's outside of your comfort zone. 
God is always going to take you out of your comfort zone. Every, all the time. All right? We need to grow comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's how God operates. We need to go trusting in him, not in ourselves. If we shy away from uncomfortable situations, it simply means that we're trusting in ourselves. But when we take our trust out of ourselves and say, I'm going to place my trust in God, we'll be able to do mighty things for the Lord. Mighty things for the Lord. And so as a devoted disciple, you and I, we will be sent off on unbelievable assignments that requires the trust of God, trusting in the Lord. Let's go on in Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple courts. I love this section. By these, these thoughts to me have been so rich uh, coming up here. Jesus entered the temple courts. Okay, just picture the temple in Jerusalem. Huge, huge building, beautiful, uh, artistically designed. The pride, the jewel of Jerusalem. The jewel of the Jewish people. And so he enters into the temple courts. And what does he do? He drives out those who were buying and selling. All right. So there in the temple courts, they had all these tables. And they were selling uh, pigeons to be as a sacrifice or this thing, that thing. There's a lot of commerce, a lot of marketing going on there in the temple of God. I don't know if you've ever in the temple of jerusalem i don't know if you've ever gone to a really really large church you go into that church and some churches will have like a bookstore and they'll have a little coffee shop and they'll have a lot of things that you can buy let me tell you what one thing we'll never want to do in this church is to have you buy anything <laughs> you know what we we don't peddle the gospel i'm not accusing those churches of doing that either but we, you know, you can get onto our website and you can hear these sermons for free. We're not going to charge you to buy a CD or whatever. You, you take that, you use that. There shouldn't be a whole lot of commerce going on in a church, in my opinion. He goes in there, though. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he says, it, it is written, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. It says right after that, that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. No longer do we have, that's why it's so unimportant where we meet. This is not a holy place. This is just a storefront. What makes this holy is we've come together in Jesus' name, but we could do that outside. We could do that in a park. We could do that in a home. The, the edifice, the, the building is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. Now, we want it to look nice and clean and safe, but this is not the essence of it. The essence is the body of believers, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says not only that we're individually the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we as living stones are being built together collectively as the temple of God. Why does God or did God ever want a temple? Because he wants to live in us. He wants a place on earth to live, to dwell among his creation, there with his creation. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? As a disciple of Jesus, Jesus is going to get in your life and drive things out of your life that shouldn't be there. As a disciple, you can be sure that God is going to come in and drive things out of you that shouldn't be there. Selfish attitudes, addictions, 
lusts, distractions, bad attitudes. He is going to drive those things out of you. Now, some of those things, you will be welcomed. You'll be happy they got out of your life. You didn't want them any, there anyways. And you welcome him to a certain extent. Come in, God. Take this out of my life. I'm sick of it. It's a mess. I'm, it, it disgusts me. But there's some things in your life that you don't want to lose that he drives out as well. And, and you have to cooperate with him and say, God, I'm your temple. I belong to you, and I want your presence to fill me so much, your word to fill me so much. I want your peace, your joy, your faith, your love. And he says, okay, I want that too, but we got to get rid of some junk in your life. And he gets in there with a whip, and he begins to smack those things out of your life, bringing things to light that you thought were okay, that weren't okay, and he begins to deal with you one thing at a time for a lifetime. It's never over. It's never over. But if we're a disciple of Jesus, you've got to cooperate. I've got to cooperate with him when he brings the whip to our life to push that nasty stuff out of our, our lives, those strongholds, those stones that sink deep down into our souls. He reaches out and plucks them. This week, God plucked a stone out of my soul, and I've been feeling so free and so thankful, something that's been there for years and years and years. I'll tell you more about it in the next couple of Sundays. Plucked it out of my soul. I, I held on to it, and then finally I let go, and man, it felt so good felt so good so he he definitely will do that with his disciples the holy spirit will drive things out of our lives um and the other thing is you know what whenever this happens he's he's getting us to a place a a a a life of dying to self is what it is a a cross life where uh, the the bad old nature is being crucified with christ and, and he says, okay, we, we, wanna, we want this aspect of your personality to die. So we're going to put it up on the cross. You've got to cooperate with him. And you're there nailing yourself to the cross because of this addiction that you have or this, this bad habit of not getting along with your spouse or a mean streak that you have. It's time to nail that to the cross. Some of us have despair. It's time to get rid of your despair. Some of us are faithless. We couldn't be faithful or committed to something to save our lives. And God's saying, I want you to nail that faithlessness to the cross, and I want you to start being a faithful follower of Jesus. I don't know what it is. We're all different. We all have something that God is dealing with us, but it's time for us to die. And that's why Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's time. I'm telling you what, as disciples, we need to start waking up. Stop being so self-absorbed and let God start driving those things out of our lives. That's why in Romans 8:13 it shows us how this works. For if um, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. This has been a very confusing scripture to me. I was like, how does the Spirit? I thought I was supposed to do that. No, God brings something to light, and then he helps you crucify that thing. Crucify it with his Son to the cross so that you can be free. But it also leads us to the understanding we've got to 
we got to walk that straight, narrow path. You've heard of that, right? Broad, it says in Matthew 7, 13, those who enter through the narrow gate, you got to enter through the narrow gate. But wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Why is it so hard to get through that narrow gate? Because our self is so huge and enormous, all right? And we try to, I, I hate to, to, to use obesity as an example here, but the, the selfishness is it's spiritually obese. And God wants us to fit through this. And he's, he's, I can't get through. God says, no, you can't get through. You got to drop all of this self that you have on you. Selfish desires, purposes, desires to be successful, worrying about what people think, all of these things. Let go of them. And when all of this comes off you, you can squeeze through that narrow, narrow path that God has for you. God wants us to get rid of ourselves. Get rid of ourselves. Be free from your own goals and objectives. My goodness, they're, they're exhausting anyways. And so the way that we do this, obviously, is we repent. And I'm learning something about repentance that I've never, ever understood before. Repentance is, aha, I have a problem. <laughs> I see it now. I didn't used to see it. That's what got me into trouble. But now I see it. It's clear. Now, I don't know what to do with it, though. It's too big of an issue. It's stuck to me so long. We've been bosom buddies for so long. I don't know how to break off from this, this problem that I have. And so what do you do? You come before the cross of Jesus, and there he is hanging in all of his goodness for you. All the goodness of God hang, hanging on the cross for you. And you say, I don't want this anymore. I want that. I want Jesus. I want his goodness. And I'm ready to let go of this world. I'm ready to let go of the temporary stuff that I find so all-consuming. And when you do that, you repent. Repentance is one of the most powerful things in this whole wide world, is when you turn away from yourself towards the goodness of God and say, God, I don't want that anymore. I just want you. Praise God. That's repentance. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we need to crucify our sinful personality traits to the Son, to the cross with the Son. Amen. So, you know, here's, here's another thought. Our personality, until our personality dies, our behaviors are not going to change. Now, I used to really work way too hard. I'd go out and pull weeds, but I'd just pull the top of it, right? And I'd look out, hey, it looks pretty good. No weeds, right? Well, what happens in five days or after a little quick rain, they're all back again. All right, I did all this effort. Well, see, repentance is pulling it up from the root. <laughs> it's saying, I got to get the core problem, the personality trait that's causing this bad behavior out by the roots. And we've got to do that. So our behavior isn't going to change until our personalities change. And our personalities can only change when we crucify them to the cross. So, Jesus drives things out of our lives. But let's read on. In that same scripture there where we were in Matthew 21, uh, at the end of verse 13, it says, he says, My house will be called a house of prayer. And uh, this temple, this temple, talking about me, this body, was created for interactions with God, a personal God. You know, Allah is an impersonal God, all right? And many other religious 
uh, objects of worship, they're all impersonal. But my God is very personal. I can talk to God. I can listen to God. He cares for me. He helps me. And so this temple was meant to be a house of prayer. As a disciple, I will pray. And it's not going to be religious mumbo-jumbo. It's going to be an interaction with God where I'm listening to his voice, and I'm talking to him, and I'm sharing with him. And I'm real. I keep pointing up. I shouldn't be doing that. I talk to God right here because he lives inside of me. This is part of the problem, actually, is talking to God. This is part of the problem. So you talk to God. He's in, if you've opened your heart to him and he's inside of you, you talk to God right right here. He's, as, he's closer than your own fingers touching one another. He is right here with us. Almost, almost, and you've got to be careful with this, almost a part of us. You can't tell where you end and he starts. That, that, that uh, stitching of his wonderful person to my person, that's how it was intended to be. I believe when Adam was in the garden before he sinned, the devil would look at Adam and he'd have a hard time distinguishing, is this, is this God? Is this Adam? I mean, Adam was, was the son of God. And you've got to be careful. This theology could be taken and fall off of, uh, of a cliff if you're not careful. But let me tell you, when God is inside of you, the devil recognizes that is God. <laughs> not you, but God's inside of this person. And, and that's, a, that's a powerful thing. We talk to God. He's in us. He's with us, praise God. He's changing us. So in Matthew 21, 18, we continue on. Oh, oh, excuse me, Matthew 14. The blind and the lame came to him in, at the temple, and he healed them. Listen to this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. People are going, going to come to Jesus in you. You're the temple. They're going to find you. They're going to find Jesus in you, and they're going to come to you. Because Jesus is in the temple. The blind and the lame, the, the, the people with problems, they're going to come to you. You're going to say, I don't have time for this. No, you don't have time to not address this. You don't have time to not be a servant. The time is short. Your schedule needs to be able to be rearranged for whatever God has in store for you. Be flexible and do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But the blind and the lame are going to come to God in you and it says here, and he healed them, and he, uh, and he healed them. As, as, the, as problems come to you, those problems are going to be bigger than you can deal with. You pray to the Lord in you, and he's going to solve people's problems through you. You'll be part of the solution, but God's miracle will be the biggest part of the solution in people's lives. Let's look at Matthew 21, 18, though, continuing on. Don't worry, not too much more here. Early in the morning... Matthew 21, 18, early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree by the road. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the, the tree withered. Can you imagine? Just, you got to picture this. I mean, you're walking along the road, you're with Jesus, and there's a, I don't know, I'm not used to fig trees, so I don't even know what a fig tree looks like. But let's say there's an apple tree, a small apple tree, and there's no fruit on it. And Jesus says, may you never bear fruit. And in front of your eyes, the tree withers up, the leaves fall off, and it dies instantaneously. I mean, I don't watch Harry Potter, but that looks like uh, something out of a crazy movie like that, right? It's just, what, what just happened? All right? So that's, you've got to, everything you read in the Bible, take it 
visually, realistically, tangibly, so that it means something to you. If you read the Bible any other way, it's not going to mean anything to you. You got to put it into perspective. All right. So in in um, in verse twenty, then the disciples saw this, <laughs> right? They saw it. They're amazed, and they say, "How did the fig tree wither so quickly?" They asked. Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but you will also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, I've read that verse and other verses like this many times and wondered, why do so many people pray then and nothing ever happens? <laughs> you know, why have I prayed? And nothing, not, you know, what, 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 what is up with this? Here's the key. Are you a devoted disciple when you pray? Are you a devoted disciple when you pray? That's the difference maker. He said this to his disciples. Not to every person out there that's a churchgoer or says they're a Christian. Are you a devoted disciple? Because if you are a devoted disciple, you will have your prayers answered. You will see miracles happen. God will provide in unbelievable ways. He will change all kinds of situations on your behalf. You have to be a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ to see this type of stuff happen. All right? So outsiders, even churchgoers, are going to look at this and wonder, well, I pray, but nothing ever happens. Be a devoted disciple of Jesus. Commit your life to the Lord. Live a cross life. All right? a life of, of death to self, walk the straight and narrow, God's going to answer your, your prayers like you wouldn't believe. Do amazing, amazing things. He'll even answer you before you ask sometimes. Absolutely amazing. So I, I also get, get something else out of this. Jesus does something, and then he teaches about it. He does something, and then he provides teaching. Uh, he taught his disciples this lesson. And I want to ask you a question. As a disciple, you have to be teachable. You have to be teachable. And I want to ask you this morning, are you teachable? Are you teachable? What, what, is someone, or what does someone who is teachable look like? They are a humble listener. A humble listener. If you are teachable, you will be a humble listener. And when someone gets in your face and tells you that you're doing the wrong thing, you don't, you don't tighten up and push them off, you listen to them. You know what? You can learn something from your strongest critics. You can learn something even from your strongest critics. And so I encourage you, be a humble listener. If you can't listen to people, you're not going to listen to God. <laughs> Do you hear me? If you can't even listen to people, you're not going to be able to listen to God. So open your heart and become teachable. That means you got to change. Means you got to change. Matthew 21 verse 23. Two last examples. Jesus enters into the temple courts um, while he's teaching the chief priests and the elders, the religious people come to him and they ask him by what authority are you doing these things? He asks and who gave you they ask and who gave you this authority? Jesus replies, I will, also answer, uh, I will also ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John, the, John, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? 
the religious people discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they, hold, um, they all hold John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Let me tell you what, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, many of your questions are going to go unanswered. If you're one of these people that says, you answer my questions and then I'll follow you, you will never be a follower of Jesus. The way it operates with a sovereign God is you follow him and then he begins to answer your questions. You don't come first, God comes first. And we've got to get into this, this idea. God is sovereign. He's holy. He's the creator of the universe. And my initiatives are much, much lower than his. And so I'm going to follow him. And as you follow him, he'll begin to answer question after question after question that you have. But you can see right here, religious people don't have many answers. Have you, have you noticed that? Religious people really don't have too many answers. They seem to be extremely confused. But the person, the man or woman that seeks God and really wants to know God, they seem to have great insight into the kingdom of heaven. They seem to be able to read their Bible and get great thoughts out of it, great understanding out of it. You can be the same, the same way. Amen? But here's the, here's the last one that I'll share with you. Matthew 21, starting verse 28, says, What do you think? There was a man. That, so Jesus is speaking to these religious people again. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went out to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. The son said, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said to the same thing. And he answered, sir, I will go. But then he didn't go. Which of the two did, did what the father wanted? The first, they answered, they being these religious people. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering into the kingdom of, head, of heaven ahead of you, you religious people. For John came to you to show the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw that, you did not repent and believe in him. Now, one, one mention about tax collectors. This is not IRS agents. This is a little bit different. Back then, tax collectors were swindlers. <laughs> they were swindlers, all right? They would not only collect the tax, but they'd collect three and four times the tax for themselves and pocket the difference. So in this culture at that time, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst of society. They were rich, but they were outcasts because they, they swindled people all the time. And here Jesus is saying, you know what? The person that at the first of their life says, no, God, and they go out and ruin their life with all kinds of stuff, but then come back partway through life, and they say, God, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, let's do it, God. I'll, I'll, I'll follow you now. They're the ones on the right track versus the one who may have grown up in church. They know all the right answers. They go to church as they did. They, they have all the right looks, and they can pray just right, but they're not doing what God says. That's not a disciple. That's not a disciple. God's looking for the real deal. He's looking. Listen to this. Disciples obey God. They just obey him. You know, they do what he says to do. And I challenge you today, man, don't harden your heart. Have a soft, malleable heart, a moldable heart that God can work with and be obedient to God. You know what keeps you from being obedient is simply, again, unfortunately, self-centeredness. The more focus you have on yourself, 
the less you have on God, and therefore the less you'll do what he tells you to do. Do you know what God's told you to do? It's different from each and every one of us. Do you know what God wants you to do? Do you? If you do, go do it. (laughs) Start doing it. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Go do it. Go do it. I'll end with this one little scripture. 1 John 2.17 The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do the will of God. Yeah? Stop, stop making excuses up. Stop saying about how hard. We were working with somebody over the last little bit, and they always say the same. It's so hard. It's so hard. And you know what I feel like saying? Life is hard. You know? Suck it up. It's never going to be easy. If that's the problem, you're never going to make it. It's always going to be hard. Now, God does come along. He picks you up. He encourages you and puts you on a smooth path, and things start clicking. But you know what? It's all, there's always going to be something hard going on. So let's stop with excuses. Let's stop with the thing that it's too hard, it's too difficult, and let's start doing what God's called us to do. Let's be a soldier of the cross. Let's be part, a, a, a contributor towards the kingdom of heaven and not just a consumer. Amen? Does that make sense? All right, well, let's pray. 